Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly, here to tell you that we have a brand new podcast called Halloween Unmasked, premiering Monday, October 1st. Here's a sneak peek. There's trouble in the suburbs. A teenage girl named Lori Strode crosses a quiet street toward an ordinary house to find her friends. But Lori doesn't know that her friends are dead, and she doesn't know that she's walking right toward the masked killer, Michael Myers. The movie is Halloween. And Halloween just, it was like a, it was a breath of fresh, putrid air. He's a pure, unknowable evil. I'm film critic Amy Nicholson, and this is Halloween Unmasked, a podcast series from The Ringer celebrating the remarkable and terrifying rise of America's most revolutionary horror film. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to Halloween Unmasked and watch your back. I, I think the scariest part was that he doesn't die at the end. So when you're 10, it's like, that guy's still out there. <laughs> we, we gotta get him. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Lawrence. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Trey Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Goofaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. 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 I'm Dan Sanger, Yeah. Nice hat, man. I like that Thanks, hat. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, for anybody listening, it's a really offensive hat. Um, I, I will. <laughs> we are here on The Ringer's Pro Wrestling Podcast, exclusively on The Ringer Podcast Network. we got a lot to talk about this week. First and foremost, uh, we have a really major uh, overhyped house show this weekend. Huge. Called The Super Showdown. Um, we're going to go through that card and, and predict and make our predictions. But before we get there. The biggest news of the week, by a lot, um, is that it turns out that this fan that the, that the, uh, the residents of Seattle, Washington, don't like it when you make I, fun of uh, the of, of of the lack of a basketball team there. I was about to say the biggest news this week is heel heat still exists. Oh my gosh! It it, it was like this amazing discovery, almost like. You know, like Neil Armstrong landing on the moon when after Elias said that, you could see him and Kevin Owens looking around and they had that half smile on their face. Yeah. Where they're like, oh my God, they actually hate us. They don't just smart mark hate us. It's possible. We're real bad guys now. Uh, it was awesome to watch that. Really, really wild. I mean, there hasn't been anything like that in a long time. Um, you know... <sighs> It's a very, very, it's a very specific sort of heat, right? I mean, I'm trying. I don't know what there would be. Uh, I mean, there, there, wrestling has a long and not always proud tradition of your local sports team sucks. Yes, like that's a tried and true way to get that sort of like okay heat, right? But your sports team doesn't exist. Yeah, that's that's a new low. Yeah. 
I, you know, the last time I saw heat like that was. Oh, I wonder if we're going to say the same thing. Go, you, you would tell well, me. Well, for it. me, it was, it was the Roman Reigns promo after he beat The Undertaker, but that wasn't supposed to be that way. Right. And then before that, it was Vince McMahon with Stone Cold. You mean and I'm in sure their I'll be heyday? corrected. As far as pure, well, pure hate, it was when Rome beat Taker the next night, but they, I don't really know if WWE wanted that type of heat. Um, but the real sort of like long standing, like, uh, you know, like, like booze throughout an entire segment reminded me of, you know, during the Monday Night War, as when McMahon would come out on stage right after having screwed Stone Cold Steve Austin. The, the, the last time, the last time there was heat on this level. Um, from like an actual heel line that was supposed to get heat, but the heat was just way more than anyone could have anticipated. Yeah. Was 12, 13, 2005 when Shawn Michaels walked out in oh, a that's suit right. and said, who's your daddy, Montreal? Yeah, that was that. that I told him. I told one him of the great, him one, one of the great moments in wrestling history. Um, Which is also something we have to talk about this week. Just old man Michaels. Yeah, Shawn Michaels. Listen, the story of the Seattle Supersonics leaving Seattle is such a raw... It's like, I mean, the fact that it's still this raw is pretty incredible, but it's such a unique story. I don't even know what else you could do except like, I don't know what... kind A kind of randomly assembled crowd of 10,000 or 15,000 would all agree on that they were so personally injured by yeah. to that extent. Yeah, I mean, that was that was incredible. And, and it's funny because I watched it twice. I watched it once without the sound on because my girlfriend was asleep and we're living in a studio right now. And the other time I watched it, um, you know, was the next day. And when you watched it without the sound, it was so interesting because you could still tell it was that amount of heat because the pause that Elias yeah. and Kevin Owens gave, it reminded me of, you know, like when they were cheering Rock and Hogan at WrestleMania 18, but like almost the uh, the upside down Stranger Things version of that. Yes, where they were looking around, they're like, "Wow, we just created something truly uh, magical, dark magic, but still magical." Yeah, man, it was incredible. And listen, I don't want to take anything away from those two fo- those two dudes, Elias and and Kevin Owens, are two of the best heat getters in the in the company, but. I mean that was a gimme line. They're probably you know prepared to boo that segment a little bit. So, but especially in that area, that probably would have cheered Elias and Kevin Owens to some extent. You know, they would have booed him out of respect. But that was just pure pure boo. It was really impressive. I don't even know what there is to say about it, except it was one of the greatest pro wrestling moments in recent memory. I I agree, hundred percent. Speaking of great crowd reactions and uh, really cool moments, um. The kings of wrestling, Cesaro and, well, Cassius Ono. Nice photo job so, by Hill Producer Jim. Some people know him as Chris Hero. Reunited at NXT Orlando this past week. Uh, you know, maybe one of the greatest tag teams in the history of uh, professional wrestling. I think that's deliberate overstatement is what you call that. But it's so great to see them together. I don't know if this is a thing or just a one-off, but it's uh, God, what a cool little video that was. And if only... Uh, to allow Jim to crack open the Photoshop and put our faces on wrestler bodies. What a Photoshop. It was worth it. Check out our Twitter feed at Masked Man Show. If you haven't seen that yet, and you can laugh, laugh, laugh. Although you really got the better end of the deal on That's, that Photoshop. I did. I got to be Cesaro, um, which is, you know, 
All right, let's just jump right into the madness, man. Uh, before we get any further on, I have to let you know that after we talk about the Down Super Show Down, Down Under, of called the Super Showdown, we're going to have an interview with the great Aubrey Sitterson, um, who used to have a wrestling show of his own. He's been on this show a few times, and now he's got a comic book. He's got a big graphic novel coming out called The Comic Book Story of Professional Wrestling that is, let me tell you, awesome. We're going to talk to him later on. But before we get there. Way better than the Ultimate Warrior comic book series. Um, Warrior. It was Warrior. great. I was I such apologize. a big fan at the time. This has been a big comic book week now. Like I wrote about Venom, but not about the movie. I'm not seeing, I haven't seen the movie. I probably won't see the movie for a while. I love Venom, the comic you're, book. You're incorrect about that. And that's what I wrote about this week. So you can check out the ringer.com. Well, maybe not the comic book, but the character. <laughs> I love the first Venom. You can check out the ringer.com on Thursday, whenever you're listening, depending on when you're listening to this, to hear all about it. Listen, so we got the Super Showdown this weekend. Are we excited? Are you going to uh, wake up at 9 a.m.? No, I'm not particularly excited. First off, I just want to say I said something positive in the beginning of this podcast, so I can go a little negative on this. Um, no, I'm not particularly excited. I I, I mean, I don't know how we want to. Do we want to go through the matches? No, we're just going to go through the matches. Yeah, and let's we'll go see through what, the matches. See how the rest of it goes. And then and then we can recap the oh, Raw Why is the Super Showdown segments. hyphenated? I, I'm just... I, I whenever care. they use some someone even close to... Correct punctuation. I'm excited for the company. All right. And for uh, America. Yeah, it's just weird. Um, all right, here we go. Let's go through this card. Uh, Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair. Singles match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Apparently, they're mad at each other over a uh, Photoshopped poster at this point. I thought that was a cool uh, promo on SmackDown. Becky, very... Becky Lynch is still over. She's still the face. Now, the... She is good. She is good. But last week, remember when I said... For all we know, they're probably just actually just rerunning like six months of Stone Cold Steve Austin's storyline and, and and doing it with Becky, and we're all going to realize this someday. Now it's like they're just doing an Attitude Era grab bag with Becky. But I don't know, man. She kind of reminds me of Conor McGregor. Yeah, sure. I like she, that. I you like know, that. I, I, I was thinking that. I was like, also this fighting just, this weekend. I was thinking, is this really Stone Cold? No, I think it's it, it reminds me of Conor McGregor. Like her, like I'm the best, and then... The picture of her standing on top of, Char I mean, putting her foot on Charlotte. I mean, it, it was terrific. Okay. Well, I'm all in on this feud. I'm all in on Charlotte turning heel, and I'm, I bet you backstage Charlotte's like, make me a fucking heel, but... We can't all be heels. Who's going to win? Becky. I agree. Oscar uh, and uh, Naomi versus the Iconics, I don't care. Yeah. You know yeah, what? I, you know Oscar why I don't. Naomi. You know what I know I don't care because uh, when because Oscar and Naomi raise each other's hands and smile in a way that has absolutely no pathos and there's nothing behind it. And it's just so, it's like, it's fine for your heroes to team up to take on bad guys. But let there be a level, like something happening with this. Well, but the thing is with the Iconics is that they're a heel team in the sense of like glow heel teams. Like they're kind of tongue in cheek. Yeah. So, it, you know, in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, Asuka and Naomi are playing that same game. So I, I do get that. I, I think that they should make it for the titles or at least introduce the, you know, idea, titles? Of, the, uh, idea of the tag titles. And, and and if that has to be on a shared brand, that's great because it would give Sasha and Bailey something to do yeah. that's not promoting. Well, I know Sasha's injured, but for Bailey, that's not promoting the Mixed Mask Challenge. The Iconics uh, are good and fun, I, which it needs to be said that this is Iconics home turf. 
they don't they don't aside from their like debut when they beat the shit out of Charlotte, they don't really feel like the sort of people that you need to like find a partner to team up with to beat them down. Anyway, who's gonna win? Oscar and Naomi. I'm gonna go with the iconics. Uh just because I don't care. <laughs> I I'm I'm mad at Oscar and Naomi. I just don't I just don't I don't WB like has a history though. If you're like new, they want you to job at your hometown just to show you're a team player. Mm, it's true. I have faith in the iconics. They're great. The New Day versus you really uh, took a 180 on that. Yeah. The New Day versus the bar. New Day. We need to talk about this? No. The bar's soccer shirts are cool. Yeah, they are cool. Um soccer hooligans. That'd be cool if Cassius Ono was there. Uh, the one question I had, who was, uh, was it Mr. Pancakes or Mr. Budio? What was his name? Who was the guy who was making the pancakes? Oh, yeah, I don't remember. I forget what his name is, but was that McFoley's son? Or... No, was it? I, for a second, I thought it was Dewey, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's just like a... I don't think it was. I just want to know who that guy is. We'll find out for you right now. Jim, look that up. Cedric Alexander versus... The living legend, Buddy Murphy. I guess Buddy Murphy, just because people have been talking about him online. But I, I, I don't know. Buddy Murphy. But Cedric's just the best. These are the two best wrestlers. So I don't I don't know what you yeah, do. I, just, I say you just put them in the main event of the show and let them go. I'm going to pick Cedric. AJ Styles. Defending the WWE Championship in a no count out. No disqualification. Uh, no mailboxes match for the... Or the way I already said that. Against Samoa Joe. Um, oh, how great would it be if they had a mailbox match? Four mailboxes on each ring corner, and then you pull out a weapon from the mailbox. Or you have to deliver a letter to each one. It's <laughs> like, like a four corners match, but instead of smacking the turnbuckle, yeah. you have to deliver. <laughs> you, everybody has a really heavy mailbag over their shoulder. Yeah, they have a whole thing of Amazon packages. Oh my gosh. What it'd be great if there was a guy with a mailman gimmick and that way that could like he could get everyone to that would be his hell in a cell. Who was the NBA player who was the mailman? Carl Malone. Carl Malone. Yeah, Carl Malone who has a history in wrestling. He is uh the uh special guest enforcer for the mailman match between AJ Styles and Samoja. Yeah, I mean the mailman, I'm sure that's like some old white announcer. Um came up with the mailman. That doesn't that sound like something that like a nick a nickname that someone gives you? Because he always delivers, rain or shine. The greatest story in the history, I mean, the, the worst part about it is when Scotty Pippen, was it Scotty Pippen who famously like was quoted as saying the mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday, on a Sunday that like they just demolished the Utah, the Bulls demolished oh, the Utah Jazz. God, that's great. Listen, when you have a gimmick, you're just, you got to make sure, you got to workshop it. You got to make sure you're not leaving yourself open <laughs> to these obvious comebacks. Oh. That was Scotty Pippen. And it also, that was uh, McFoley's son, Dewey, as Whoa! Mr. Bootyworth. Mr. Mr. Bootyworth. Okay, so I was wrong about the name, but I was right about the, it being McFoley's son. That's incredible. Well, I'm patting myself on the back, even though, Ms. even though that just goes to show how creepy you are. Actually, if that had, if it had been Noel, yeah. I, we would have been like, "Do you really want to be saying that?" Like, I, identi I identified a wrestler's kid from like five thousand yards away, and he definitely knew, and he pretended like he wasn't sure. Uh, AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe. I'm gonna go with AJ Styles, even though um, you know this this could be one where the WWE puts the title on Samoa Joe just to you know, have a title change and just do something shocking, I think I'm still going to go with AJ. That'd be weird. Once again, 
This is my, it was my argument last time. It'd be really weird for WWE to keep doing this. But I think we already have, I think it's going to be AJ. I would love to see some of Joe win. I think it's going to be I would AJ. too. Okay. My, my pick's AJ. The Bella Twins and Ronda Rousey, WWE Raw Women's Champion versus the Riot Squad. Who you got? Uh, I predict that... Um, are you, the trying Bella to, are you trying to figure and, out how the Bell Twins yes, turn on Ronda yes, Rousey? Yes, exactly. Ronda Rousey and the Bell Twins are going to win. Words right out of my mouth. Yes, and then they're going to turn on Ronda. Yeah, because they got to give the crowd that pop of Rousey getting the win, and then they'll have the Bellas turn if they're, if that's yeah. indeed the way they're going. Daniel Bryan versus the Miz uh, for the number one contendership of uh, for uh, for AJ Styles currently AJ Styles WWE Championship. I'm saying the Miz because if if we have AJ win that match. You need somebody who's a strong promo to carry uh, AJ. A strong heel promo. I, I, I should say that because Dan- I think Daniel Bryan's a strong face promo, but I, th- I think it's got to be The Miz. Yeah, but it doesn't say it's going to be like next week, right? Oh, it, it no, does say number probably, one contender. probably Survivor Series. It said a... F- well, sur- yeah. Wait, Survivor Series? No, you can, it's going to be champion versus champion and stuff, right? I have no idea. Oh, yeah. We don't really know. We don't okay. have a crystal ball. Um... I'm gonna say Daniel Bryan. This feels like a this feels like a time to to toss some red meat to the crowd, and then we'll have, you know, the Miz and the championship picture for WrestleMania. Uh, Bobby Lashley and the returning greatest wrestler of all time, John Cena, versus the uh, the two greatest heels in modern memory, Elias and Kevin Owens. Cena is not leaving China for an L, David. So it, it will be John Cena and Bobby Lashley. Oh. <sighs> Would you like it if John Cena and Lashley turned on each other and set up a future WrestleMania match? No. That's what I thought. The Shield, Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins versus Braun Strowman, Dolph Ziggler, and Drew McIntyre, who weirdly don't have a team name. Yeah, they do. Dogs of War. Well, no, they're the... I thought I thought McIntyre and Ziggler were the Dogs of War. I thought all three of them together oh, they were are? the Dogs of War. Well, then I take it back. Uh, I think Braun Strowman and the Dogs of War, or the Dogs of War, win that match. I, I don't think you're going to see a full breakup of the Shield there, but something is going to happen to further this, you know, Dean Ambrose separating. It could also I be... I hope they don't separate, but at the same time, I hope that it, it would just be weird if this is like all for... that this is just all misdirection. Or in that Seth Rollins turns heel again, that's very possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll see. Um, so what's your pick? Uh, I would say uh, Ron, Drew, Dolph. I'm going to go with the Shield. Mostly because I feel like these... They're treating these Australia fans like they're dodos. And that would be the easy pick. Uh, Triple H with good friend Sean the Heartbreak Kid Michaels. Uh, versus The Undertaker with his brother, Kane. Good to see Kane back. Um, good to see Undertaker back. Good to see Shawn Michaels back. <sighs> Triple H, you know. Triple H has got to win. He's he's lost too many in a row. He lost against You Cena. really think this? Yeah, I think he's going to win. So Kenny Herzog wrote a great piece for us for The Ringer, which uh, is up right now. It went up on Wednesday. Um about the end, about this match and sort of what it why they're trotting these guys back out and what it means and everything else and um 
he thought he told me when he was working on it that he predicted that Triple H would win too, and I was just like, no, like the Undertaker no. doesn't come out of retirement to lose to Triple H. Well, he does to set up a match with Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series, which is what the internet rumor is. You think Shawn Michaels is going to wrestle, or it's going to be a tag match? At the, it, well, they're setting up a Saudi Arabian tag match. Yeah, I think he's going to wrestle. I mean, he took a big bump. You know, and, and I know he took a bump against Daniel Bryan when he fucked him over at Hell in a Cell, but that was a different situation. So, yeah, I think that they're going to have a tag match. The money's too good. I mean, we have to tie. I know we have to run through these picks, but, you know, the internet was a buzz of, you know, Shawn Michaels and the Lashley headband and coming out to Sexy Boy when he's 50 years old. I, I do think they have to do some sort of old man Logan thing. They have to change. You can still have like the Western pants, but he looks fucking old, dude. Like they that have wasn't to, a like, Lashley headband. That, that was just like a Brett Michaels headband. Well, it's a weird look. I like, mean, it's a bald guy in a headband, so I just call it the Lashley headband. All right. Well, I guess I'm going to stop wearing this headband right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good kudos to Sean for shaving it off. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. Who are you talking to there, Sean, or you? Just talking to the world, man. Just talking to the world. <laughs> uh, I think Undertaker's going to win. Okay, you tell think, me your reasons. Because Undertaker is... Undertaker tombstoning people is... I mean, when, when Undertaker beat John Cena at WrestleMania, this was what I said. It was the beginning of a new era of Undertaker working three-minute matches and tombstoning people for the just to pop the crowd. I think that's what... He could still I, tombstone people at the end of it. You can still have Triple H win and Undertaker go ape shit and he just... He tombstones like Shawn Michaels three times. I think until, fu until future notice, my expectation is going to be Undertaker comes out, little schmozzy schmoz, double couple of spots. Within five minutes, he'll be tombstoning and pinning Triple H. I disagree. I think that Triple H will win. And then afterwards, you can have a thing. Kane hits Triple H with a chair, and then maybe the Druids hold Triple H while the Undertaker tombstone Shawn Michaels. I know, I know that I've said this before. Your official pick is is Triple H, right? Yeah. What if the Druids took Shawn away? Do we pick for Bobby though? Lashley and John Cena? Is, there, is there any way? Yeah, they're winning. Okay. Um, here's my question. I've I've mentioned this before. Would you watch WWE like a Legends division? I don't know. At what point does that become Legends House? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, no, I, I think that... And, and look, I think people are sick of it. Like, the Raw ratings still dropped this week. And yes, there was a great Monday Night Football game. That's that's uh, uh, has been reported as well. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think so. I think that now it's in a weird place where, you know... You know, at least during the Attitude Era, the Legends put over the new guys, and now the Legends having their own thing. Uh, I I don't know. I I was for it, and then when I just saw it on stage, I was like, "This is weird, man. This is just like a guy who, you know, it's a guy who like should be training in NXT, a guy who should be running a company, uh, a guy who should be running the town of Knoxville, and then the Undertaker." <laughs> You know, it, it just didn't feel, I don't know, I just, at what point has this become, you, you remember that concert that they had where it was like old Woodstock, where they had like the Rolling Stones, Bob Still, Bob Dylan, um, and I forget who else was on it. This was like two years ago. They were basically trying to make the Bonnaroo for septuagenarians, and it's oh, starting yeah. to feel like that. 
Uh, yeah. I get it, but I would totally watch it. Sure. I mean, I do two fucking pro wrestling podcasts a week. Of course I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it's But true. I'm the I'm the easy, you know, I'm the easy. I'm the guy who bitches and still watches whatever the fuck you tell me to watch. I'm the teenager who blares hard rock music in his room but and always threatens to leave home but then, you know, raids the fridge and stays. That's who I am. I think it would be a really fun. I think it would be really uh I think I think it'd be a really fun experiment to see if you could make a really good show with only wrestlers over the age of like fifty five. I think they have those, and those are high school auditorium shows. Now I know that's what'd be so cool about it. Anyway, anyway, um, and also, what constitutes as an old wrestler? Wouldn't AJ be on that list? Well, that's the thing. John Cena would probably be on that list. The right. Rock when he comes back. No, I just think it would be fun to see, like, I, I just think it'd be fun if there were, I guess it doesn't matter, our expectations, what WrestleMania did was reset our expectations. I, I mean, guess what I'm wondering is, do you have, is it possible to have a different show? Like, if you go to a WWE house show, your expectations for what you're going to see are dramatically different from if you go to, like, an, like a PWG show. Well, here's right? what I was saying with Old Man Michaels. The thing that got me the most excited this week about that entire angle had nothing to do with the angle. It was Undertaker did, like, an actual interview where he broke character. And I think that that idea of the person who's too old and putting their character back on is more interesting than the character itself coming back. Well, listen, I love Shawn Michaels, old, young, whatever. I hope he stays retired. But I hope he keeps super kicking people from the corner, uh, interfering in matches. I rewatched that Hell in a Cell match between Undertaker and Triple H that Shawn refereed. And man, that was a really good match. Great match. Kenny wrote about this, but is there anything better in the world than Triple H doing the crotch chop and then just walking into his death? Like he was like, <laughs> I know I'm going down, but I'm going I'm gonna go down crotch chopping. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, we got to get out of here so that I can have this interview with my good friend, famous comic book writer, Aubrey Sitterson, who's promoting his new book. And now here's my interview with Aubrey Sitterson. And without further ado, I am joined by my dear old friend, Aubrey Sitterson. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show, man. We've known each other for a minute, haven't we? Well, yeah. I mean, listen, the the world of, you know, of uh, the, the 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 semi-professionalized world of like the pro wrestling industrial complex, it's not, it's a, it's Bro, a pretty I small got a, world. I got a, me and you, me and you, we got books out. We are fully professional now. None yeah, I guess so. So that's why you're here. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so, I cannot tell you how excited I am to talk about this. You have uh, are about to publish, have just published, I guess as, as of yesterday, I've published, or today, I've published it came out a book. yesterday. Okay. Uh, a book uh, by 10 Speed Press called The Comic Book Story of Professional Wrestling, a hardcore, high-flying, no-holds-barred history of the one true sport. Um, Chris Moreno is the, is the illustrator, and, and I... I, I my comic book terminology is probably all over the place, but this is a straight up graphic novel. It's a comic book. It's illustrated. This is not just like one illustration per page or like per chapter. This is a comic book telling the history of pro wrestling. And, uh, it's great, man. What, what I know that you're a comic uh, book writer, but, but, but tell me, tell me what, tell me how this whole thing came about. Yeah, my editor at, uh, 10 feet, uh, Patrick Barb, uh, he reached out to me because, uh, he was as, as you all know, uh, because you were my very first ever guest on it, I used to have a podcast called Straight Shoot, and Patrick was a fan of Straight Shoot, 
Uh, he's an editor at Ten Seed. They were doing this line of the comic book story of books. They had done beer and video games, and they're all great. You should check them out. If you, if you dig our work, you should definitely go back and check out these other ones. And they were looking to do wrestling next, and he had the bright idea to reach out to the guy who is a comic book writer and hosted a wrestling podcast. And so uh, he reached out to me, and I suggested Chris Moreno, who I had, well, he's my co-creator on the book. It's, it's ours, you know. Um, uh, and we are equal partners in this. It is, I don't know, if you're not familiar with comic books, like, um, I know you are, David, I'm talking, you know, the, the general you. Um, yeah. The art is at least 60% of it, I tell people. You know, it's, like, it is heavy lifting. You know, the, you need the script to get going, but um, in terms of the final product, it's, you know, it's primarily on the artist to make this thing work. And Chris nailed it. And I knew that he would because he was a guy that I had collaborated with previously on the graphic novel Worth. And this was back in like 2012, I think. So we've known each other for a while. And the reason that Chris is perfect for this is that he excels at character and period work. And when you're telling the history of wrestling from the carnival days up to the present, and when you're, you've got hundreds of different wrestlers showing up in this thing, you need a guy who can depict them in a way that they're recognizable, but without feeling like that, you know, tracing light box heavy uh, comic book work that you see sometimes from, from lesser talents than the mighty Chris Moreno. No, I listen, man. I mean, I, I'm the biggest art. Uh, snob isn't even the right word. I just have, I just have a very, I have, you know, certain aesthetics in comic books that I'll go for and, there's certain people who there's great artists who I just won't even mess with, but the but the bad ones, you know, I, I never mess with. Um, but as soon as I saw this, I was just like, "Holy crap! You actually got a great a great comic book artist doing this." Because especially with this, you know, with a big historical book like this and just a one shot, not even a serialized thing. I mean, it's you know, it's hard to find people who are just who who are truly great illustrators who really can capture the sort of breadth of history and all these different characters. It's, it's pretty awesome, man. I'm, I'm very, very into the art. Um, but you know, the, the right, the writing's pretty good too. You know, I'll give you some credit for that. (laughs) Um, what, uh, I will gladly take it. What's, uh, what, I mean, this is, this is like you said, it's, it's for the carnival days to the present. I mean, this is an enormous swath of history. Um, but it's, you know, it's relatively short. It's under 200 pages and it's, And it's, you know, it, it's a, there's a lot of different moments I know that it hits, you know, it's just sort of, it's not, it's not, I mean, there's some sections where it's not, you know, it's not telling one story over 10 pages, it's just kind of jumping from beat to beat. But what were some of the things that you, in all this giant history, what were the, some of the things that you sort of discovered for the first time while you were doing the book and, or, or something that just kind of surprised you in the, in the, in the process of writing? Yeah, you know, I... I came into, I came into doing the book with a few different like thesis statements, right? Because I really wanted it to be. It's called the comic book story of professional wrestling, and while it's a history book, we didn't want it to read like a textbook, right? Like we really wanted it to feel like a narrative, and so there was this arc, and so we we set out with a few different kind of ideas, um, and one of them was that wrestling is wrestling's always been wrestling, right? It, it's 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 an issue. You and I have talked about this like offline, like in the past six years. Uh, there is this constant shifting of goalposts in wrestling, uh, where you know the promotion or the wrestlers themselves say, well, "You know what you're seeing now is fixed or not real, but it used to be real, right?" And that, like, how long ago that is depends on the promotion and the angle and what year it is, right? But 
it's nonsense, right? Like, like wrestling since the 1880s has been a fixed form of entertainment designed by carnival barkers and bookies and wrestlers to separate people from their wallets. And it's always been that way. And that was one, that was one of my thesis statements coming into it. And it's something I really wanted to explore that, you know, there wasn't some big demarcation point where all of a sudden wrestling became uh, fake or fixed or not as real as it used to be. It's always been that way. And, and, and that the research bore that out. But what I found really fascinating was how often the same stuff gets repeated over and over and over again and recontextualized and presented in a different way and, you know, um, approached from different angles and stuff. But, you know, a really good example and something we come back to over and over and over again in this book is the fear of your title being lost. Um, and not not a champion losing his title, but a promotion losing their title, right? And this oh. goes back to Stanislav Slavisto shooting on Wayne Munn, right? Like in yes. the early 1900s. Yes. In like, what is like, the, it's the last legit world championship wrestling match in history. And, um, but that, the fear of that colors everything about wrestling history and who gets pushed and why and how the, um, like what, what levels of trust are placed in different performers, everything from the tendency of any territory era promoters, you know, choosing to push themselves or their sons as their champion, right? Cause the people who would not leave them and yeah. go away to, you know, Ric Flair showing up as the real heavyweight champion on WUS television to Medusa dropping the, um, her women's title in the trash on Nitro to CM Punk leaving, you know, even though it was a work, even though it was part of the storyline, CM Punk leaving with the WWF title after winning it off of uh, John Cena and Money in the Bank. That's really incredible, man. Yeah, that Tabisco story is a cool one because there's a lot of that that, that even in the... I mean, there, there, there's a lot of that that even in the, the retelling from the most trusted historians or the most impartial places, it's still always told through this lens of you know, kayfabe. It's all, it's all crazy. I know when I wrote, when I wrote my book and, and anything that I've written historically, you, there's this incredible process of trying to tease out truth from, uh, you know, just a business that, that's just mired in its own bullshit. And I mean that in the most loving possible way. Um, did you, I mean, did, did, did you have, did you have that same experience where you're just sort of like, kind of staring at everything like sideways and cross-eyed to figure out what the, the to, fi- to try to, figure out your own personal version of what's true or did you, or, or did you just sort of like, you know, what were you doing? Just cutting the straight path from point A to point B? No, you know, it, it, it was something I was keenly aware of just having read all of these, you know, so the, one of the key problems with researching wrestling history is that your primary sources end up being the autobiographies of guys who spent their career being self-promoters and trying to put forth this fiction of themselves, right? This this realistic fiction or fictionalized truth of who they actually are. So you can't, you, you know, you have to go to these autobiographies to hear these stories, but you can't trust any of it, but so far, you know? Um, and this was, yeah, this is a constant struggle. And, you know, I think that you read enough of these things and you start being able to smell a little bit of the bullshit, but it's not, you know, it's never... Uh, it's never a perfect detect like truth detector, you know? And I tried to, it's, it's especially tough as you, the further you go back to, right? Because um, the sources get more and more murky and, um, and you know, they're more and more like, there's more and more baggage having been placed on it over the course of decades. But I tried it to be really 
honest about what we didn't know and what was, you know, just like unverified. And so I did a lot, actually do a lot of what is reviled in like the Wikipedia editor community, which are, <laughs> they call them weasel words, right? And like, I don't know, like, I don't know how deep anybody else has gotten into weird Wikipedia. Oh, no, no, culture, no. I'm, but I'm all about this. I'm all about the weasel words. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, but, it's, but it's necessary. So a weasel word in you know, in Wikipedia, they revile it. They hate it. It's like saying things like, oh, well, it's said that Aubrey Sitterson is the most handsome man to ever live, right? And, and that's meaningless because who said it? When? Is it verified? Was there a competition? Were there rankings? It doesn't mean anything. But when you're talking about wrestling, you have to do that, um, A, because you don't know. And it's a it's an art form that's built upon conning the audience and it's built upon obfuscation, right? Um, but also it's important that you do that because that is itself very wrestling, right? Because it doesn't matter so much what was true as it does. It matters what impact it had. And that's something we talk about. Like I, you know, one of my pet favorite discussions to have is um, I believe to the core of my being that the Montreal screw job was a work, right? And, and I acknowledge <laughs> that that exists. Right in the book, I think you know people. Say, there are people, even wrestlers, who say that this thing was a work and it wasn't actually real. But that doesn't matter, and it doesn't. What really matters is what came out of it. What is verifiable, right? What matters is the creation of the Vince McMahon character and how that has colored everything about professional wrestling in the subsequent two decades. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Dan, did you want to ask a question? Well, can... yeah, I just had a question for both of you. Out of curiosity, first off, this book sounds fascinating. I can't wait to buy it and read it. Um, in in both of your research of uh, wrestling autobiographies, which ones or which one do you think rings the truest empirically? And I understand what you're saying. The bigger point of the Montreal screw job becomes real uh, in essence, because now we're living in the reality that was created from that. But who out of uh, all these autobiographies would you say, OK, this 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 person seems like a straight shooter? Oh, that's, that's a really good. That's really tough, that's, man. They're all full of shit, right? Like all of them, like to some degree or another, I think. Um, my favorite ones are certainly. My favorite one is Lucez's autobiography, Hooker, um, because it's yeah, it's really it's good. Older, it's a, it's a it's a it's a really like it's like an urtext almost, right? Like it's a really early version of what would become like the standard um, rest of biography, but it is clearly fully like he talks about how. Um, and Strangler Lewis, even like blind and like 200 pounds overweight and like dying of diabetes, you, you couldn't yeah. let him get behind you. You couldn't, you couldn't let him get the rear race lock on you because you'd take it out. So like even that one, I don't know. Do you have one, David? Uh, I mean, Foley's first one was really good just because it was, I mean, the stakes are kind of so relatively low as I mean, falling off of uh, giant structures, notwithstanding. Um, uh, he, he, he's a pretty level-headed guy and doesn't try to put his own shit over too, too much. Um, and he's got a really yeah. good memory for whatever for whatever that's worth. I don't. I'm trying to I think, think of like I the more only first, first one. Only first one is real good in that regard. And I think, dude, I think it's funny because I think Jericho's first biography is really good too. I've yeah, I like I like that one too. Jericho's um, one of my favorites, and I've read all of his subsequent autobiographies. And by the end, they just go completely off the rails, and they're just complete nonsense. Uh, but the first one, when he's discussing his childhood and getting into wrestling and like his early days in the industry, it rings pretty true to me. Yeah, I like the and I like what else? What, what do I like? I like Terry Funk's at least the first half of Terry Funk's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's it called? Uh, De- uh, I'm sorry, uh, Dynamite Kids was like super felt super uh-huh. true and realistic just because he was so angry. There's a there's yeah. a there's an I old British wrestler. Words. That's one of my favorites. 
That's one of my absolute the, favorite ones too. But I feel like there's a lot of work in that one too. There's a lot of like self mythology, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially when it comes to like re kind of recontextualizing history to let everybody know what a innovative genius he was, and he was. But like it's, I don't know. It's it's very self-aggrandizing. Yeah, that's um, true. It doesn't really matter one, because it's one of my favorites. Some of the some of those books, even when they're bullshit, like the Bret Hart one, is like, I mean, that is like the biggest. I mean. It's just him putting himself over that whole book, but it's still a really fun read, you know? My favorite thing about the Bret Hart book is how he talks at length multiple times about how he was just catnip to women. Just women oh, could yeah. not keep their hands <laughs> off of him. And it was yeah. like a running theme of that book. I loved it. You know, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the one thing I think was real was uh, King Kong Bundy's shoot interviews are the realest I think I've seen a wrestler be. Because he's like... He's a, he, at one point in the shooting interview, he goes, Hey, Brett, it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> the Undertaker's not really dead. Um, what was the other? Oh, there's a there's a book called, there's a book by a British wrestler. Hold on, let me Google it here. Jackie Paolo, You Grunt All Grown. That's just like a huge, it was like an early behind the scenes look mm-hmm. into like World of Sport era wrestling. Not that early, but mm-hmm. uh, that that's 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 a good one too. I mean, it was real, but again, totally the point is totally putting himself over. Yeah. I enjoy that. Anyway, we got to get out of here. Uh, what, what's good? Last question. What was? Let's get back to that art because the art is really good. What was your favorite? What was the, the your favorite panel or page when you got it in? Where you were just like, "Holy shit! I can't believe I get to do this." Oh man, it's the territory map. It's the big map. It's like pages thirty six and thirty seven. I think yeah, thirty six and thirty seven in the book. And it's something that in the earliest days of pitching this thing, I just knew we wanted, we needed to do it because it's something that I've had in my brain for so long and it doesn't exist. And I thought it was just bananas that this thing isn't something you could go out and buy everywhere. Uh, it's a map of not only the U S but you know, little insects with, um, you know, it's, it's U S Canada, it's North America, it's U S Canada, um, Mexico, and then insects with Japan and Puerto Rico. Um, and it's all of the NWA territories, um, from the height of the NWA territory era. Um, and this is the, the part that made me so excited. And the thing I really wanted to do and Chris, nailed it was the inclusion in each territory of their top star so it's not necessarily period accurate right like not all these guys were active at the same time but you get rick flair down in the uh, the mid-atlantic area you get dusty down in florida you get ricky dozen and giant baba and antonio Noki over in japan Carlos cologne and puerto rico and um it's it was my favorite thing and uh we we love it so much that we made prints and they're available right now um you go to my my Twitter, you can find, or my Twitter or my website, you can find links to, to pick up the print because it's awesome and it should be up in, it should be up on the wall of every serious wrestling fan. That is awesome. Well, I can't wait to get a print too. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Great luck with the book and uh, everybody out there. Thanks, go, man. Thank you all for having me. It's available everywhere right now. Um, comic book shops, bookstores, Amazon, you name it. You can go find it. All right, man. Thank you so much. Have a good one, man. Thanks, brother. Take, take, take care. Talk to you soon. All right. Dan, talk to you soon. I'll, uh, can I promote a little bit? You can promote whatever you want, man. All right. All No Real Winners here. Still available on all streaming platforms. I'm actually going to be going to the MLW show tomorrow night. So check that out. My own podcast, Total F and Marks. We interview the Blue Meanie tomorrow. He's got some fun stories. Um, and check my websites for dates. I'll be on Sunday at the... Seller, Stand Up New York, uh, Bushwick Bears, which is a, I guess, a definitely crybaby comedy. That's what it's called. Yeah, everybody loves crybaby comedy. Yeah, everybody loves it.
Um, apologies, as always, to Dean Ambrose. We'll see you back here next week, humanoids. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show. All right, let's just jump right into the madness, man. Gonna Took win. The words right out of my mouth. Heel heat still exists. Oh my gosh. <laughs>